On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talked to Jared Dorfler, who is the creator of the weekly newsletter, The Perfect Putt, which is about the business side of golf. And uh, Jared is someone who grew up uh, in Iowa playing golf, played on his high school team, played in college, uh, but uh, has um, a whole career in business. Uh, so this is sort of a sidelight, but impressive one as he started it a short time ago, 16 months, I think, um, in, in August of 2021. And in that short period of time, it has grown to uh, having a readership in excess of 4,000 people, and it's growing every week. He gets cited by uh, a lot of folks in the industry, and it's just really impressive the amount of traction he's gotten. So we talk about um, his background in golf and how he got into this newsletter and some of the various topics he's covered, and uh, all very interesting. And uh, I highly recommend signing up for the newsletter. It's free. It's, as I said, published weekly. You can find it on Substack. And uh, up next, Jared Dorfler on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I'm really pleased today to be joined by Jared Dorfler, who is, um, among other things, the author of the ever-growing uh, newsletter, uh, Perfect Putt, um, which we'll get into and talk about um, uh, for a bit. But um, uh, Jared, I want to just thank you for making the time to join us today. Yeah. Hey, Larry, I'm happy to be here and happy to discuss golf with you tonight. Yeah, this will be fun. So let's just maybe, as I like to typically do with, with folks, kind of go back to the beginning. Um, and um, I think you were born in Kansas, but maybe grew up in Mason City, Iowa. Do I have that right? That is correct. Um, so talk to me about um, how you first got introduced to golf. Yeah, I suppose it was probably age five or six uh, in Iowa where I, was, where I was raised. Our house is right next to a cornfield. And I had memories of my dad teaching me how to hit golf balls into the cornfield. And, and he would go pick them up and, and put them back in a bucket. And, you know, there was a nine hole public course about five miles away, I suppose, from our house. And, and that's where I originally learned how to play golf. And I suppose I, I got into it more um, around the age of 10, uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and um, ended up joining just a small country club. And my, my mom would drop me off in the summer and that was my daycare. <laughs> so that, that was that was golf for me. Uh, my grandfather and grandmother also uh, played a lot of golf. And so my, my grandfather had a huge influence on me and and golf and um, was really lucky to have him be a part of that journey. And um, he came to a lot of my college golf tournaments. And it was uh, it was good to experience him with uh, experience that with uh, him and my dad. I bet. So were they sort of your main teachers in terms of learning the game or how did you sort of learn it? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I, if you look at my dad's swing and then you look at my swing, we have a lot of similarities. And so I, I would imagine my dad, uh, he, you know, he got me started and was able to teach me a lot. And of course, as I got a little bit older, I was able to do some junior golf lessons. And then 
Um, I did occasionally get, um, you know, lessons in, in high school and, um, and, but I never had a consistent teacher. So uh, my dad was primarily the teacher of the game for me um, in the swing. Now putting's a different story, um, but uh, for the swing, that was primarily my dad. Yeah. So putting's a different story. Was, was there, talk to me about that. Was that a particular influence for putting or how did you go about that? Well, I, I was generally a terrible putter in high school and um, in college. So my sophomore year of college, I actually ended up transferring schools in my sophomore year, third day or fourth day at practice. Um, my, my coach said, Hey, look, we got to get you on. Uh, I didn't even know what software it was at the time. I think it may have been called Tommy. Um, we got to get you on the software and change my putting grip and actually change the grip on my putter. And we worked on a few things and it was, it was pretty instantaneous. Um, and then we worked on mindset and I, I've been an okay putter since then, but going from terrible to okay was a huge, uh, a huge change for me in a positive direction. Yeah, I can I can um, relate to that. I I spent about twenty five years in the putting wilderness, um, <laughs> you know, from the time um, uh, I, when I was in law school after college until my late forties. I just had the yips, and I tried everything. I mean, mm-hmm. my garage today is littered with putters. Um, I mean, heavy putters, long putters, you know, the the whole nine yards, and. Um, uh, uh, Dave Phillips um, down at Tyler's Performance Institute about 15 years ago, I went down there for um, a program and he took one look at my putting stroke and he said, you need to putt left-handed. Um, <laughs> and that was about the only thing I had not tried. Um, and it was amazing. It was like rebooting a computer. So um, kind of like you, I mean, I don't know that I would say I'm a great putter now by any stretch, but I'm not a terrible putter. And um uh, it's a, this is a hard enough game to play as it is. If you're not putting well, I mean, you're just, you know, you're got one and a half hands tied behind your back. So, so I can relate that. That's funny. So let me go back a little bit to high school. So you played on your high school team, it sounds like, and, and that was sort of, uh, it sounds like you had a pretty good team. Yeah, it, it was an awesome experience. So, uh, Mason City, Iowa was a relatively small, uh, town, Larry. So it's about 25,000 people. And um, the county's a little bit bigger, maybe about 45,000 people. Uh, one thing that was really, really, really cool growing up in North Iowa was there was a North Iowa Junior Golf Association. And so, unfortunately, it's not around anymore. Um, but that really, um, you know, it, it was a really good community and culture builder for, for our community for golfers. Mm-hmm. So golf was, um, you know, it was really popular in our area. And I went to a, a private uh, Catholic school. So mm-hmm. we, we were a, 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 about as small class size as you can get in Iowa. So, you know, we're a 1A school in, in a town that is relatively large competing against towns that are about 1,000 and 2,000 um, kids. And so um, we, we were able to win state, uh, state title my freshman year and my, and my senior year. My freshman year, my score didn't count either day. So I, I had nothing to do with that. But my, my senior year, we had we had a lot of we had a good run and um, it was a ton of fun um, to be able to celebrate that with um, with with my teammates in high school. And I actually I actually stole the banner out of the high school gym that 2007 state champion. So I, I have that hanging in my basement. Um, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love it. Um, so 
you played in college. You mentioned you ended up at University of Northern Iowa. Um, and um, uh, tell me what that was like. I know we talked a little about the putting, but sort of your collegiate experience and, and golf as part of that. Yeah, I mean, it, growing up, it was it was really my dream to play Division One golf. And um, I worked hard in high school at it, but I was probably not working at the right thing. And quite frankly, I wasn't just I wasn't talented enough. And so I had a couple of visits. Um, and I had a visit at Iowa State. Um, I thought I was close at a couple other D1 schools. And, and honestly, I, I probably wasn't as close as maybe I think I was. So I ended up at St. Ambrose University in, in Davenport, Iowa, which is an NAIA school. It's a fantastic uh, golf program. There is several Division One transfers on the team, and there's actually a couple guys that left to go to Division One schools. And mm. it was very competitive. And so I ended up there. The unique thing about St. Ambrose is that it doesn't matter if you have a golf scholarship or not, is you have to try out um, for the team every single year. Oh, I love and, that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, like the one guy from the prior year, he's got to try out again and, and earn his stripes. And so um, they take 15 guys and it's a, it's a four day qualifying process. And it's, um, you know, you know, th those, those guys were really good. And going into the fourth day, um, you know, I was, it's top 15 or you have to average 300 or below for four rounds so 75 and i was like uh, i needed to shoot 70 i think um uh to, to try to get that 300 mark because i was like in 18th place and there's no way i was gonna get the top 15 and um i show up to the course at like 6 30 in the morning and uh, in davenport I, I don't know how much rain but it was probably between five and seven inches that night oh and, wow wow and and um the reason why you'll understand why i'm telling the story in a little bit but um, anyway, coach called it and said, I'll take the top 20 guys. And, um, then I got, I got lucky there. I got extremely lucky because if I wouldn't have made the team, I don't know where I'd be today, uh, in life really. And so, um, I was able to take advantage of that luck and I played well that fall. And, and I, I, I didn't really like, um, you know, the, the school was really small and I didn't, didn't really feel like I fit in well. So, um, I started reaching out to some division one programs and, and got a couple of offers and then um, ended up at Northern Iowa. The, the crazy thing about Northern Iowa is that um, I had a, I had a couple of scholarship offers, but Northern Iowa wasn't one of them. And uh, I ended up essentially being a preferred walk on. And um, uh, the second tournament of my career, I was able to qualify for the top five. And, you know, wow. I, I essentially was in the top five for the rest of my career. Um, not, now you have to take that with some context. You know, you and I is you know a, a very average Division One program. Um, however, you know it's it, it's crazy um, that you know a little bit of rain actually helped me for, for for who knows where I would be today. And I and I say that sincerely. I golf has college golf completely changed my life. Wow. So talk. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit more. So tell me how how did it change your life um, exactly? I, I'm interested in that. Well. Uh, so there's a lot of things, right? And you'll hear a lot of the same answers from people that were able to play sports in college. It doesn't matter what level it was, but, you know, obviously consistency and discipline were, were huge things were instilled in me. But, but more than ever is that the coaching staff, um, they believed in me and they gave me a chance. And so I think when somebody is, um, you know, somebody's trying to achieve a dream or achieve a huge goal and somebody actually goes out on the line and they believe in them, and they actually follow through with that. It just does something for your confidence that, that I don't think a lot of things can do. 
and I'll be forever indebted to both my coaches in college. Um, some of the best guys that I've ever met in my life. Not only that is that, you know, you kind of, the old saying, you know, you, you, you're a product of your environment, right? And yep. I had some of the best teammates around and my teammates in college are still my best friends today. And they're extremely uh, successful. Um, they're good stewards in their community. Um, they're good. They're good spouses. They're good parents. Um, and, and so that has pushed me to be a better person. Um, and, and so, th- th- I mean, that's why it changed my life. Um, and I don't, I don't know really where I'd be today without it. I'm not saying I'd be, you know, maybe, maybe uh, running around in a different country or anything like that. But from, from the standpoint of, you know, from a professional and from a personal uh, standpoint, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today. Makes sense. And that's wonderful. I love it. Um, so after college, um, I think if I remember you worked in Kansas city for a few years and then ended up coming back to Mason city. Um, how were you, as you're sitting there, you know, graduating college and starting your career, how are you thinking about golf at that point? Just as kind of a recreational thing? Are you thinking you want it to be more than that? Or, you know, I, I understand you're, you know, you weren't, you know, you know, necessarily going to be playing on the tour per se, but I mean, you know, just how did you sort of think about the role that golf was going to play in your life at that point? Well, I think everyone that, you know, is able to play golf at, at a college level, whether that's, you know, D1 or D3, um, you have the thought that goes through your head, like, I can make it on tour. Right. Um, that quickly diminished my sophomore year of college. And I remember University of Kansas, we played a tournament, and I played really good. And I think I got, like, 35th or something, wow. 40th. And and so it's like I played as, almost as good as I could, and I'm getting drummed. And uh, I quickly learned that, that there's so many good players, and it's so competitive. And I kind of knew that, that it probably wasn't, I wasn't talented enough to do it. Um, and then, you know, later on in my junior and senior year, uh, I, I had the chance to see two of my former teammates try to make a run at it. And um, one played really well. And I, you know, I, he's still, I think the best player that's ever gone through Northern Iowa, but he wasn't able to get it done. And um, just kind of seeing that's like, wow, um, that's, that's, it's going to be a challenge to get there. Right. Right. Um so are you, so you're thinking basically that it's just going to be kind of recreational stuff at that point, or, I mean, you think you're going to do anything more with it, you know, I mean, in, in terms of, um, oh, I don't know, having it be some part of your life more than just recreation. I understand you're not going to play in the tour, but mm-hmm. are you thinking, yeah, you know, I had my run, this is just going to be a sport that I'll, you know, I'll probably continue to play in nothing more than that. Yeah, exactly. And I was ready to kind of move on with, uh, with golf, um, from a, from a competitive standpoint <clears throat> and I didn't play, I, I don't, I haven't played a competitive event in 10 years. Um, and, uh, just want to play with my buddies and, and play and member guests when you can. And, right. um, but the competitive juices are starting to, they're starting to flow again. So we'll see what happens the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> so let's sort of get into the perfect putt stuff. So I, I mentioned you, so you were in Kansas city, if I think for, you know, four, four, four and a half years or whatever, then you come back, to Mason City, um, where you're working, um, I think at Metalcraft, if I'm remembering right, you know, and um, and golf, you know, something you're doing recreationally, not competitively or anything. How does this perfect putt newsletter come about? Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun, it's a really fun uh, question. So I was finishing up uh, my, my MBA at the University of Iowa, 
and I took a class entrepreneurship and innovation mm-hmm. and the instructor really uh, was really pushing the, his students and us to write online. And that, that didn't really sound like it was for me, Okay. but I, I took his challenge and um, I came up with two ideas and um, I went on vacation with my wife and I said, Hey, look, I think I'm going to start a little blog and, um, we'll give it six months and see how it does. And so that, that's the genesis of perfect putt. I love golf and, and I genuinely love business. Um, I, I'm pretty annoying probably to some of my friends and this is my peers when we talk about business. I'm always asking questions because I want to learn what they're doing better than maybe what, what we're doing or how can I learn something? So, right. um, that's, that's the start of the newsletter and, um, it's been a really fun ride. It's been a, about 16 months now or 15 months. It's been, we've been doing it. So, so how do you, I'm just so impressed. So how you built, you know, I, a, a, a quite a following. I think you've got, you know, four or 5,000 people reading this newsletter that you're, I think, publishing weekly. Um, how did it, uh, how did it spread? Um, you know, is it just word of mouth? Did you try to, um, you know, push it out there in particular ways on social media. I mean, that's impressive in a short period of time to get that kind of readership. And I, and I will say for people who haven't seen it, I mean, you know, it's picked up by, you know, lots of people. I mean, Jeff Shackelford is, uh, you know, someone who's out here um, and um, uh, you know, who um, uh, published and pretty well known and he'll quote you. I mean, I see you, your thing quoted a lot, which is impressive, you know? So I'm just curious, how did, how did you get from the beginning to where you are now in that regard? I guess uh, I was probably pretty dumb because I, I, um, and ignorant to what it would take, but a lot of time on, on Twitter. And, um, uh, for the first, you know, six months, I really didn't get any traction at all. And, and you mentioned Jeff Shackelford, you know, he, he's been super nice to me and I've known Jeff for about a year now and he's helped me grow. And, He's given me some really good advice and he's promoted uh, the newsletter and brought in new readers for me. And um, there's been a lot of people like that in the industry that have, you know, gone out of their way to help me out. And so I, I think what a, what it really was, Larry, is I just kept showing up for like three straight months and tried to put out, you know, unbiased content that maybe not a lot of people were talking about, try to have a generally, you know, like a a positive um, attitude um, just about everything that I've discussed. And, um, you know, people were able to start then sharing, sharing my stuff. And well, the the biggest impact for me though, has been Twitter. Um, You know, there's a lot of people on Twitter that are really involved with golf. And um, from there, you know, it's probably spread a little bit um, by word of mouth and, and by Reddit actually. So um, it's just been consistent, uh, consistency on uh, every week to showing up and to provide content to readers and to people that follow me on Twitter. So let's talk, just talk about the Twitter aspect for one minute. So I'm assuming, you know, you're tweeting out your, your newsletter. Um, so I'm sure you're doing that. Are you on Twitter beyond that sort of commenting on golf stuff and everything? And, and, and if so, kind of, how do you, do you look for stuff that's trending in golf and try to weigh in on it? I'm just curious, you know, how, 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 um, how that goes. Yeah. I try to, I try to stick to the business side of golf on um, anything that's related there and just share some unique information or, or the money side of golf. Um, every now and then I'll pop in like, uh, like an opinion of mine, but 
you know, people, I don't know if they're really on Twitter uh, that follow me. I don't know if they're there to just understand my opinion, but understand kind of what's going on in the industry. And so, you know, uh, uh, there's uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, BlackRock invested $150 million in, in putt Jack. And so, you know, I put that out on Twitter that, you know, this, this had happened and, um, you know, that got a lot of traction and, um, you, you know, University of Oklahoma announced that they got a $5 million donation uh, for their men's and women's golf programs, which um, this, this individual has donated, I believe, around $8 million now, just the University of Oklahoma golf programs. And I don't know if people understand how big a deal that is from a scale standpoint. That's massive. Right. So stuff like that, I think it gets some traction. And I, I put something out there um, earlier this week that it always makes me wonder, which is not necessarily business related, but, you know, Rory McIlroy signed with East Tennessee State. Um, signed a letter of intent to play college golf there. And I always, I always wonder about that. Obviously he didn't go there, but you know, is that always makes me think, is that the biggest one that ever got away in, in college golf? We'll never know. But um, I put that out there, you know, that got a little traction. I, Blair, I generally stay away from like the sports betting and golf, the, the fantasy. Yeah. Um, stay away from like breaking news and golf. Um and I've tried to stay out of live in the PGA tour just because no matter what side you're on, one of them's gonna, gonna go after you. I've written about it a few times from a business standpoint, but, um, you know, I, there's a lot of people on Twitter and a lot of writers and a lot of, uh, people that have really good opinions that are smarter than me that can, can, uh, explain that stuff a little bit better than I can. I was going to ask you about the live stuff, even just the, because, because yeah. there's some interesting business aspects. I mean, put aside, you know, the politics and all the emotional stuff that's there. I mean, there's some pretty interesting business stuff in terms of the model that the PGA Tour uses and, um, you know, the tax exempt structure and kind of how they're migrating um, towards, uh, you know, kind of a star system, for lack of a better term, and the way they're using the PIP to sort of identify who the stars are. Um, it's kind of, I mean, there's, you could do, I could see, you know, just focusing on the business aspects and keeping everything else out of it. And there's still a lot out there on that. Right. I mean, to talk about. But there's a ton to talk about and, you know, with, with live, you know, I believe they've spent, they spent 750 million uh, this year, which honestly seems low to me, but you know, that was reported by sports illustrated and, Obviously, you have to understand and believe that their reporting is probably pretty close to being right. Yeah. And then next year, they're planning on spending a billion dollars, which is, you know, over 14 events, I believe, is $75 million per event. Now, right. obviously, they're not spending $75 million per event, but that's one way to look at it. Um, right. I don't know how Live ever becomes profitable. And whenever I say that, somebody jumps down my throat and saying that's not their goal. And... I don't know. Is it their goal or isn't it their goal? Obviously, they want to, um, you know, Liv really wants to kind of promote um, Saudi Arabia and as a tourist des destination, a financial hub of the world. And so is that their ROI? Um, I don't know. Then you hear conflicting reports that possibly they do want to they do want to become profitable um, around the team structure and selling sponsorships like F1. So, right. Exactly. I don't think anyone knows. Yeah, I think everyone's got a lot of opinions. Um, I look at it from just a business sense. And if you look at a balance sheet and you try to do comps on, uh, comp which there really isn't one, but if you do a comp against the PGA Tour, 
Um, obviously, the PGA Tour, you know, a lot of their money, you know, the revenue comes from media deals, and Live doesn't have one yet. So, um, I, I don't know. It'll be fascinating to see it play out. Um, it's been good for the PGA Tour, though. I mean, they're guys; they're, they're going to make more money. So, um, yeah, it's been a really, really interesting year in golf. For sure. I, I mean, you just hit a lot of the points that you know the key points to me because, I mean, just as you said, I mean, what what's the return? I mean, is it a narrow scope? Um, or is it a broader scope? And, you know, part of, you said it really well, I thought part of the ROI is, you know, is it a reputation? What's the reputational, you know, value to them? Is that part of the ROI? Then maybe it is making money. If you look at, you know, that is part of what's in the numerator, but um, I, it's fascinating. I mean, I've, you know, followed golf pretty closely for a long time and, you know, we've never had anything like this. I mean, this is, it's just, I mean, just look at the impact on the PGA tour in terms of the structure, right? I mean, we're going to have all these elevated events, um, you know, and um, it's just, just, it's, it's interesting because I've always sort of felt like the PGA tour is a bit of a aircraft carrier and trying to get it to turn and all. And, and, you know, but this is, this is uh, forced them to turn pretty quickly. And, you know, it's, um, it was interesting right after Rory and Tiger had that players meeting at the BMW you know, Monaghan comes out was probably not even a week later where he announced all these changes and stuff. So, no, I agree with you. It's really interesting. But besides live, where do you sort of get all of your information? You just kind of keep your eyes peeled for stuff or how do you go about, I mean, because you're publishing pretty frequently. Um, so, you know, how do you sort of go about, you know, um, garnering um, uh, stuff for potential newsletter stories? Yeah, I try to stay current um, or relatively current with the current events. And so uh, readers will send me ideas. Now, some of the ideas are wow, really cool. That's really... cool. You're getting ideas from readers. I didn't even think about that. That's cool. Yep. So I'll get a few emails a week about, hey, can you look at this? And most of them are really good ideas. Most of them are also really, really hard to research. And if I was doing this for a full-time gig, I certainly would dive into some of those things. But, you know... I spend about five to 10 hours a week on it. Um, and, and I try to just um, look at different different areas in the golf space from a money and business standpoint. So obviously start with Google and see what's going on there. And then I do get a fair number of press releases now. And so I can um, I can try to cobble together uh, an idea from a press release and, and go from there. Um, had a really unique uh, piece, I think, this week on um, underwriting uh, performance bonuses from sponsors and um uh, with with david lyons from black swan sports and you know he reached out to me and said hey you know uh, I, I wrote a thread on hole in one insurance on twitter and he reached out to me and said hey look you know i've dealt with this in the past this is what i'm doing now just be curious if you want to write about it and i'm like that's a really interesting aspect of the game um yeah i'd love to write about it <clears throat> and then obviously every quarter you know we get the we get the three quarterly reports with with a Cushion and Callaway and Drive Shack. And I wish there was more public companies, but there isn't. And, you know, to, to be honest with you, Larry, there's been a lot of investment in golf. So it's been, you know, pretty easy to come up with topics. Um, now, there hasn't been a lot of investment in the last three to six months. Um, but, you know, who knows what's what's going to happen coming forward here. Um, and then golf entertainment is such a moving and fast pace right now. I mean, it's it's a hot topic in the space. And, so is indoor mini golf. And there's a lot of cool things I think coming our way in golf. And, um, you know, there's always, there's always some business and money behind it. So, um, 
just, you know, try to get a, a list together of things and keep that list running. You know, when I get an idea, throw it on there and then we, we dive into it to see how much is actually behind it. Have you been, I, I'm just curious, just listening to that, what pops into my mind is Top Golf. I mean, have you, have you uh, been to one? What do you sort of think of that um, as a, uh, from a business standpoint? Yeah. So Larry, people think that I, I get paid by Callaway and top and top golf. <laughs> and, and, and here's why I wrote a piece on, I have been to top golf. I think it's a fantastic product, but it's not for everybody. Right. But top golf doesn't have to be for everybody for them to win. And people complain about the high prices and maybe they are high prices. I don't know, but the market dictates price. Right. And they're still growing um, same venue or venue over venue. Um, um, sales. So, I mean, they're doing relatively well. I, and earlier this year, I wrote a piece on Top Golf that I think they're the greatest business in golf. I truly do from, from two aspects. I think that they are one of the largest business, businesses in golf. Um, and they are fairly profitable and they, and they do, they do make some decent amount of money. Second thing is I think that they introduce a lot of people to the game of golf. And there's a lot of numbers behind it that I don't have on the top of my head right now, but you know they get they get around I believe 30 million visitors per year, and a certain percentage of those don't identify as golfers. And then it's like 75 percent or so. Don't quote me on this. You can go read this piece that I wrote. 75 uh, percent or so um, are interested in in golf after they play after they go to Top Golf. Um, I think Callaway is the most fascinating golf business. Um, around if you think about golf it's like a slow moving sport you know it's um just kind of like drudges around that but but callaway what they've done is they've invested in golf entertainment and they've invested in apparel that diversified their revenue um and you know the those cross centuries and the in the flywheel they're building with with callaway and or sorry with top golf and five iron golf is very fascinating um i think it's kudos to callaway i think they're doing a great job yeah, I, I I will I will tell you um I I I had I had my first experience with Top Golf a couple of weeks ago. Um and um uh it's funny because um I I mean people we're, we're going to just put the audio on our, as our podcast so people can't see the two of us. I'm sitting here wearing my SCGA shirt cuz I just got back from a course rating today for the SCGA and I'm on the SCGA board. And we actually had a board meeting at Top Golf um, in El Segundo, which is the one that's here in L.A. And I know a couple of us were talking, never had been there before. And it was a blast. I mean, you know, we just had a great time. And the thing was interesting to your point that their success is it was in the middle of the week, um, you know, like around I think we had the base. We had the meeting there. They have meetings. You know, they're smart. Right. They had meeting space you know, mm -hmm. for us. So we sort of met for a couple hours and then we had the base from like 11 to one. So it was like 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the middle of the week. It was jammed. I mean, the parking lot was full. I mean, it was, you know, all the bays were taken. I mean, so they are doing something right. And I can see, I can totally see the appeal of it for sure. Um, do you sort of, I, I'm sort of curious, just thinking about this, do you see the other major players, you know, the Akushnits of whoever of the world sort of going the, into the entertainment aspect of golf the way Callaway has? I, I don't know, but I think that they should. Uh, and and I, wrote a, I wrote a piece about this just a couple of weeks ago about Akushnit and Drive Shack. 
Now, maybe maybe that's not the right partner to go after, but clearly, um, I think it, it's worked out very well for Callaway. Yeah. And Taylor made and the cushion it to, to try to follow suit in some way that fits them, I think would be really smart. Um, the blueprint is laid out there. Um, you know, Cal or Top Golf is is selling Callaway clubs. They're doing lessons. Same thing with Five Iron. I mean, it's it's really it's just it's incredible their reach that they're able to to introduce people to Callaway products now. And so I think it would be smart. I wrote that piece and I had um, two CEOs reached out to me from from companies and said one said you're on the right path, wrong company, um, and and then the other confirmed essentially what you know drive shack is trying to sell off their properties and so um that doesn't surprise me at all if you kind of look at what drive shack's been up to the last six to 18 months um uh, anyway so i think that taylor man and cushion should get in the game doesn't mean that they will um but i i think um you know for for a cushion i think it makes sense almost on on the putting side now, Odyssey, you know, claims to be the number one uh, putter in golf, which is obviously Callaway, but Scotty Cameron's are, you know, very, very popular. Um, and, and so if they were to get in, you know, like uh, Pop Stroke or Putt Shack or Puttery or uh, any number of these uh, golf entertainment indoor mini golfs, I think that that would be a unique synergy that they could leverage. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, Kushner is sort of, I mean, my sense is it's always sort of positions itself as the traditionalist, you know, golf yep. company more so than the other two leading ones, you, you know, Callaway and TaylorMade. I mean, they're kind of, I mean, I go back a little, you know, back to the days of, um, you know, Ben Hogan before AMF bought it. And, you know, that was sort of the traditional players club, but Titleist, you know, obviously the Hogan's long gone, but of the three major ones, Titleist clearly occupies that space. So I may, I wonder if they if if they have any reluctance because of you know they think uh, well this isn't what a traditionalist does but I agree with you I think I think there's room for both um, and and I think they'd be um, they'd be smart to do it um, and it is amazing you mentioned Scotty Cameron I mean the the brand that they have with both the wedges with Bob Vokey and the putters with Scotty Cameron um, is just staggering I mean. You know, and you can see that in the pricing, right? I mean, the pricing that they can get for Scotty Cameron putters, um, and you you could just look online, even stuff, you know, eBay or stuff. You know, I'm not even talking about the new putters. I mean, the value, you know, that sticks for those putters is amazing. So they really have such strong brands, and it'd be interesting if they try to use some of these um, avenues to expand. Yeah, and on the Scotty Cameron brand. Um... When you create a uh, secondary industry, which is refurbishing old Scotty Cameron putters that I imagine is fairly large, tens of millions of dollars, yeah, your brand is incredible. Right. And there's so many club makers out there that will refurbish putters or buy old Scotties on eBay or garage sales. Right. And they'll make them into their own, if you will. And that is a whole industry in itself. And um, the brand that Scotty uh, has is, is probably one of the strongest brands in golf. Yeah. Um, there's no question about it. I mean, you just, even just on that, I mean, you, I don't know if you've ever been to a store. They have one, he has his studio that, you know, unless your name is Ernie Els or Tiger Woods, you don't go to, but, you know, in San Marcos. But he also has a store in Ensenadas, which is, you know, North San Diego County. And 
you know, you walk in there and it's got all these head covers, anything with Scotty on it. And the stuff just flies off the shelf at incredible prices. Um, you know, it just, I mean, it really just show the power of branding. So I, I totally agree with you. What, um, uh, there's so many interesting things to talk about. What's, um, what's been kind of, what, what, if anything, you've been doing this for 16 months, what if anything has kind of surprised you? If I, if I, if you look back 16 months, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you're somewhat surprised that you've, 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 you know, you've got such a great readership, which is, you know, to your credit, but just beyond just the number of readers, I mean, what about the responses or, or the things you've gotten into? What is, if anything, has surprised you looking back? I'll, I'll kind of answer that two part ways. So yeah. what surprised me, I think most about the golf industry is, is diving into it and understanding how big the golf entertainment space is. I mean, it is absolutely massive and it's introducing new people to the game every single day. And it's, it's such a big player in the game. Now, traditionalists may not like golf entertainment and that's perfectly okay. There's a spot for those, those folks too. But I think we have to recognize um, the golf entertainment and what it's doing for the overall game of golf. Um, you know, the second thing is about writing this is, you know, I, I started this thing and I had, you know, I had no, no following at all, no Twitter. And, you know, my mom didn't sign up for like eight months. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the first, well, the first two people on that signed up for me was, you know, my wife, my best friend. So, you know, I started with really nothing, but <clears throat> I think what's been cool is, you know, I haven't really known anybody in, in the golf industry very well outside of maybe collegiate athletics. And I know, you know, a handful of uh, golf coaches around the country and, um, you know, the golf industry is, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty jacked up. I mean, there's a lot of really good people in the space. Um, you know, I've talked to several players. I've talked to you know, several people in, in the media, people that are just a lot cooler than me, a lot smarter than me and way better golfers than me. And, um, you know, just understanding, um, you know, that the golf industry is, you know, it's a, it's a welcoming space. Um, and which has been, which has been fun. And one of the things that, that I, that I get a, a joy out of is when, when people reach out to me and they want to, you know, set up like a five, 10 minute call. And, you know, some of the CEOs that I've been able to talk to has been really, really cool. I've learned so much from some of those people and um, it's been a really, really fun ride from that standpoint. That's awesome. I love it. Um, what do you sort of see? Cause you know, I, you are a keen observer of the sport. What do you sort of see as the biggest challenges for the sport in the near term? I mean, you know, I know there's live, but even beyond live, I may, maybe, maybe live just dominates, but I'm just mm -hmm. more generally, I mean, what do you sort of see in terms of, you know, we always hear about grow the game and everything. What do you sort of see as the biggest challenges for the sport? I mean, it's from like a macro level. I talked to about a dozen superintendents three weeks ago and they all shared the, like about the same sentiment is that, um, there's not enough superintendents right now. Yeah. And, um, I think that's going to be an issue if golf can not even doesn't have to keep growing at what it's been growing the last, you know, two years since the pandemic, but if it just stabilizes and it remains relatively flat, there, there is going to be an issue. And, you know, some of those, some of those people are going to get burned out. Um, and it's the same goes for the, the head pros and the assistant pros. There's just not enough of them, um, right now in the space. And so, a challenge is going to be to, to get to promote both of those programs um, in school and make sure that um, they're trained and that they're hired and that they're paid right. 
Um, I think that there was a shock to the system um, in the space for how much they need to increase the pay for a lot of these folks. And um, I think it's good for the industry long term. Um, but short term, it's been a little bit of a shock. So just from a macro level of, you know, a recreational golfer like myself, I think that could be could be an issue here in the next few years. Obviously, we don't know. We don't know. Will will golf, you know, if there's a recession, how will golf do? Um, you know, that's 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 kind of a fool's errand to predict that, I suppose. Right, I mean, right. Um, but I think that those two things are probably pretty important to keep an eye on. That makes sense. No, I agree. Um, are you still able to sort of you mentioned a little bit earlier about your competitive juices flowing a little bit? I mean, are you able to keep your game in good shape? Are you thinking that you want to start playing? competitively again in some amateur tournaments or what's going on in that area? Yeah. So I, I play every Wednesday. We have a, we have a foursome on Wednesday. That's, that's men's day, but we play after work, you know, so we get out about five o'clock. Occasionally we'll be able to, to get an 18, but mostly playing nine. Um, I, I played in one tournament this summer. Um, it was an amateur event, just an 18 whole day. Uh, I shot 73. I was pretty excited about it, but you know, my teammate, my best friend, you know, he, he hasn't played any, you know, he hasn't played in the tournament since probably college. And he went out and shot just a, it was an easy 68. Oh, wow. And it just makes wow. me so mad when he goes out and he does that because he has a different level when he's, when he's starting to play in some, uh, some events. But that got me excited about kind of uh, maybe getting back into the competitive side of golf. You know, I've, I've played in the member guest, which is, you know, like my golf Super Bowl for the last five years, which, <laughs> um, that's a lot of fun to to do, but that's not quite uh, quite the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is there's you know there's there's so many opportunities out there you know with state golf associations for various amateur tournaments for sure. Um, you said what you said five ten hours. You're I mean I know you have a day job too. Are you you're able to you find it challenging to try to keep the balance or you know how's that go? It's been it's been uh, actually a lot of fun. And, and it hasn't been that challenging. And, and here's why is, you know, when I was in college, you know, playing golf in college, we're balancing, you know, school, balancing right. morning, morning <clears throat> balancing morning workout, um, balancing travel and practice. And not, not to mention, you know, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife went to different college. And so we're trying oh, to balance okay. that. Yeah, and that's hard. Yeah. So I've always, you know, not, not always, but since college, I've been able to juggle a lot at once. Um, and so it it doesn't really impact me. And Larry, I have to be doing something. Like I have to be tinkering with something. I don't care if no one's watching or no one's reading. I just have to be tinkering on on something. And the cool part about this is at work. And so um, our business development director then you know kind of took this this blueprint, the things that I've you know learned along the way of trying to build an audience and and leverage that audience. You know, I'm not leveraging them, but. Um, you know, we're at work, we're trying to leverage an audience to, you know, try to produce leads and, sure. um, at, and provide education. And so he's, he's kind of taken that blueprint from a YouTube standpoint and he's starting to, to, to make some, some really cool games there. And so it's definitely helped uh, me in my day job and, um, which I think is hugely beneficial. Um, no, it, it's, it's, it's not that difficult. Um, and it's something that I really actually enjoy doing. I, I have to be doing something, Larry. I just have to be doing something. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, uh, our mutual friend, Pete Danula, kind of connected us. And um, 
I started looking at it and it's, it's, and I am, you know, one of your 4,000 plus readers now. And um, it's, it's terrific. I definitely encourage everyone to take a look at it. Jared, I really appreciate you spending the time uh, with us today and um, kudos to you for all the great success you've had in growing your readership so significantly in such a short period of time. And I'm sure the growth is going to continue, but really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, Larry. It's been, it's been a lot of fun uh, and I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure.